Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the very last episode of the Judgment Call podcast of the decade of 2019. This is Miles Wilson. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I did only start this podcast about three or four months ago. And if you're listening to this, I really appreciate you guys for just tuning in. I do. And we're going to hit the ground running next year. I already know when my first... I don't actually... Let me not lie to you guys. I do not know when my first episode is going to be because I do not know how tonight is going to go. So it could come out on January 1st. It could come out on January 2nd. I do know it will be before January 4th when Wildcard Weekend starts. But do not let me lie to you and say that this episode will come out January 1st because then I will expect you to hold me to that. And I cannot even hold me to that. But today I'm, I'm not really talking about anything serious. Since this is the end of a decade, I have watched a lot of sports. I've probably forgotten more sports than I've actually seen. And I'm just going to go ahead and talk about my favorite, most iconic or impactful moments of the decade in general that I've seen. And I've been watching pretty much every sport. I feel like the only sports that I don't like are, well, actually, I do like hockey. I was going to say hockey. I can't watch hockey on TV, but going to hockey games is fun. I, going to I had the the most fun I've ever had is going to a football game in Michigan and going to a Predators game like five years ago. Going to hockey games are really fun. I don't really like lacrosse. Uh, I don't like disc golf. Uh, I even like frisbee. So it's really hard for me to think of sports I don't like. But that does say I'm going over my top five most impactful or iconic moments of the entire decade today. I'll talk about. The 49ers Seahawks game, probably in my next podcast, I'll talk about college football playoff wrap up, the Clemson game, the LSU game. I'll talk about both of those games in my next podcast. I'll talk about Black Monday. All that is going to be in the next podcast. Today is just going to be really light. I just want to end the year off on a very, very fun note, and at least in my eyes, because I get to reminisce and date myself and see how old I am and make myself feel old. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it. These are in no order, by the way. I was not going to put myself through the trouble of ordering this because it would be an absolute headache. But regardless, the first one I wrote down, not the number one of the decade, is LeBron James on July 8th, 2010. The decision. If you watch sports at all and you have been for the past 10 years, everybody remembers watching this. It was on ESPN. He was in. Who knows, somewhere in Connecticut for a boys and girls club. And everyone was watching. It's like, man, well, he's probably going to leave Cleveland. We don't know where he's going to go. But if he's going this far to talk about where he wants to go, then I guess we should tune in. And this is where he announced his decision to leave Cleveland and take his talents to Miami, as he said. And this is literally the first sporting event. That broke the internet, at least to my recollection. I cannot think of any other event in sports history before this that literally broke the internet that had everybody like, oh my gosh, there is absolutely no way that this just happened or that he just did that. Like there have been times after that, but this is the first moment that I can ever think of where an athlete just and like this wasn't even like a Super Bowl. This wasn't a NBA Finals, this wasn't a baseball championship, this was one guy announcing his decision to leave Cleveland 
and go team up with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. This broke the internet. Everybody was like, whoa, 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 what is going on? So that's like the, the, like, that's monumental. Like, this is like when social media was just starting too. So people were barely on Twitter. People were still mainly on Facebook. It was a little bit of MySpace going on, but MySpace has pretty much died out by then. And everybody was absolutely freaking out. And it was crazy because you got this is like a time you actually got to bond with people talking about the event. So I thought it was ridiculous. And then not only that, but LeBron changed the entire landscape of the NBA as we see it today in two different ways. So one, he took the first steps for playing for players seeming as if they are bigger than the team that they play for and that they control their own futures. So what I mean by that is before this. You could take any legend in NBA history and you can peg them to one team immediately. So Michael Jordan, no one ever thinks about his wizard years. Yeah, they happened, but it was at the tail of his career when he's 40 years old. You hear Michael Jordan and you think Bulls. He played with Pippen, Rodman, Tony Kukoc, all those guys. You hear Kobe. He's like, oh, man, that's a Laker. He played with Pau Gasol, Lamar Odom, Derek Fisher. You hear Hakeem Olajuwon. He's like, ah, longtime Rocket. Larry Bird, ah, longtime Celtic. Magic Johnson, Kareem, all these guys, you can peg them immediately to one team and one legacy. And LeBron said, no, nah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't really feel like doing that. I am 100% my own brand, my own entity, and uh, my legacy will just follow wherever I go. I don't need to be tied down to Cleveland. I don't like the management here. They haven't been able to build a good team around me. I'm just going to go and I'm going to control my own destiny. We've never seen that before. Ever. We've seen semi-stars maybe go and team up with somebody. Like I said Hakeem a little bit ago. Clyde Drexler went and played and won a championship there the year the Jordans had out. Like It's happened before, but never at this magnitude. We've never seen a star reach out to two different guys and say, hey, you want to go team up and dominate the league? We'd never seen that before. This is the first step we'd ever seen for a basketball player becoming their own entity and controlling their own destiny. And then also because of that, other people started thinking, this is my second point, by the way, that, hey, if he could do that, you know, I can go wherever I want. And it's even cool if I go somewhere else with, you know, another star. And because of Braun, we have a college team like the 2008 Duke team that had Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. We have the 2018 Warriors that had Katie, Clay, Steph, Draymond. And then it just because a super team didn't work out, it doesn't mean that LeBron didn't cause it because we have the 2016 Knicks, the 2013 Nets, where it was that huge trade where they traded that haul of first round picks to get KG, Paul Pierce. And I believe it was one more person. I don't think it was Gerald Wallace. Gerald Wallace ended up on that team eventually, but I don't think it was him. And then it was the 2012 Lakers that had Kobe, Dwight, and a 38-year-old Steve Nash. And then you can also blame pretty much any dynamic duo in the NBA with exclusion of Dame and CJ in Portland on LeBron. Because before then, stars weren't like, oh, man, hey, let's, let's, let's team up. They're like, nah, they just kind of developed through the draft. Like, that's just how it happened. Team, they just ended up on the same team. And it's like, wow, looking back on it, 10 years ago, it's like, man, no one really thought. That that would have changed the entire way the league worked. What everybody thought back then is what LeBron promised in the presser where they called themselves the Heatles and he promised all the championships. That's what people thought was going to happen. 
people really thought that they were going to dominate the league for at least 10 years and they would have all those rings, but they only came out with two. But then the rest of the landscape of the league absolutely changed. And that is one of the most impactful and iconic. That fills both categories. I think that falls into probably a top three moment of the entire decade. And then another one. This is in my eyes. This is not like final, complete. This is at all my opinion. And the second, this is probably one of the greatest things I've ever watched live. And it is definitely iconic. I don't know how impactful it is to the landscape of the NBA, but this one is definitely iconic. It is the 2016 finals where the Cleveland Cavaliers came back from a 3-1 deficit. That was incredible because I did not think it was possible. I did watch games five and six at home. I was just sitting on my couch and I was watching the games. And I was like, oh, man, game after game five, I was like, oh, wow, that was a really great performance. I still don't think they'll come back. One, not because it wasn't ever done before, but because the Warriors were that good. This was a 73-9 and Warriors team we're talking about here. So, Kobe, not Kobe, Kyrie and LeBron went off in that game five. They both had 40 points, and they were fantastic. And I was like, oh, wow. And then Draymond got suspended. I was like, oh, man, so I guess I'll tune into game 6-2, and I'll see how this develops. And then... That was the greatest LeBron finals performance I have ever seen. I couldn't tell you the exact stat line. I remember he had like 40 and 15, I think, and like eight boards. It was incredible. And I was like, okay, after these past two games, I think Cleveland can do it. Like, I I was shocked at what I started thinking. I was like, oh, my gosh. The Warriors just might blow it. This could be debated as one of the greatest basketball teams in history. They beat the 72-10 and 10 Bulls team. It was a record for the regular season. They, could, they should be able to go to the finals and win. And we'll talk about them as one of the greatest ever. And now we're in a game seven after the Warriors were up 3-1. And this was the greatest game seven I have ever watched in my entire life. The game was great through and through. It was incredibly defensive. It was incredibly competitive. The rest of the games in the series, they were not as competitive as this. The final score of this game was 93 to 89. The rest of the scores all hit triple digits. Like both teams were giving it their all every single quarter, every single play, every time going up and down the field, every possession. I was like, man, this is great. This has to have a historic ending. And I could not have fathomed an ending any better than the one that we got. The sequence leading up to Kyrie hitting one of the most improbable go-ahead shots ever. Probably not only in the finals history, but in NBA history. Led to one of the best basketball games I've ever watched. The block was fantastic. Kyrie hitting the, the step back shimmy on. It was all fantastic. And I also cannot Fail to mention Kevin Love playing fantastic defense on Steph Curry when switched on to him. It was a fantastic game. I am so glad that I was able to witness the first 3-1 comeback ever in finals history. And that is the second most impactful point I've written down for the decade. And the third one, uh, I feel like even on every, every single list, no matter who you are, whatever sport you watch, if you saw this, this would probably make your list. It is February 1st. 2015, the Seattle Seahawks throw the ball 
on the one yard line. To this day, I still have absolutely no clue how Seattle screwed this up so majorly. On the one yard line with arguably the best running back in football that year. It was either him, Le'Veon Bell was in the conversation in that that year, and then DeMarco Murray, I think that was the year he almost ran for 2,000 yards. But it was one of those three dudes. A lot of the consensus was either Murray or Lynch, and they decided to throw the ball, and they had it picked off to lose the game on the one-yard line. In one of the most heartbreaking ways to lose a game, I'm so glad I'm not a Seattle fan because I probably would not even be able to say these words. I probably wouldn't even be able to go back and look at that play. Since I'm not, I have no feelings in that game. I can watch that play over and over and over. I'm like, wow, one, that was a great play. But two, that is a terrible play call. And this was also coming off of one of the best drives. This could have been potentially the best drive or a top five drive in Super Bowl history. Because it it started off with a 30-yard catch where Marshawn Lynch ran a sluggo route. If you don't know what a sluggo is, it is a slant and go. You rarely ever see running backs run this route. They took him out of the backfield, and he ran a sluggo. It was about a 30-yard gain. And then after that, there was a miraculous catch by Jermaine Curse where he bobbled the ball. It fell between his legs. He still caught it somehow. He got up and ran to the one-yard line, and they all just threw it away. Figuratively and literally, he threw the ball to Malcolm Butler. He literally made Malcolm Butler's career. I don't even know if Malcolm Butler is still in the league anymore because his last year with the Titans was terrible. But man, he literally, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll literally made one man's career off of a terrible play call when all they had to do was hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch, become Super Bowl champions, and they possibly still could have had a dynasty to this day. And I really I really hate that it didn't end up like that. But it is what it is. You hate to see it. Now we're on to point 3 that I wrote down. This is Usain Bolt in the 2012 and 2016 Olympics. I could not just narrow it down to one of the years. I had to include both. Usain Bolt became the fastest man alive. And it's wild because no one ever thought this was possible. Like, yes, records are meant to be broken, but Usain Bolt not only broke a record, he ran the 100-meter dash in 9.63 seconds. And it's wild because I think there were seven personal bests, including the two people who finished in second and third place. One ran it in 9.7 and the other one ran it, ran it in like 9.76 or something crazy like that. And Usain Bolt said, yeah, I'll just run it in a casual 9.63. And then he followed up that 2012 performance with another clean sweep of the golds in the 100-meter dash, 200-meter dash, and 4x100-meter dash. It was absolutely ridiculous, the run that he went on in those two Olympics. And I will forever compare what Usain did in those two separate years to what MJ did for hoops. I personally know so many people who only ran track because of what Usain Bolt did. Mind you, back then I was 12 years old and 16 years old. So I like these are these are just my friends that I grew up with in middle school and high school. And I'm like a lot of those people ran track because 
of what Usain Bolt did. He inspired a generation of track runners. And then uh, maybe in this next decade, a new generation of track runners will see what Usain Bolt did. They will look back and like, oh, man, this guy is awesome. I'm going to run track two. The same way people would be like, man, I only hoop because of MJ. Me personally, a, a lot of the people I knew growing up, it was either MJ or AI. A lot. Some sometimes you get a Kobe in there, but it was either MJ, AI, or Kobe, one of those three. But as far as revolutionizing it for an entire generation of people, I will always attribute basketball to Michael Jordan, and I will always attribute track to Usain Bolt. And then the number four. Again, this is not in any particular order. This is just how they came to mind. April fourteenth, twenty nineteen, this year. Tiger wins the Masters. Absolutely no one saw this coming. It, like, literally, this, this was random as hell. Like, I, I didn't see this coming. My dad watches golf all the time. He didn't see this coming. No one who was broadcasting the sport saw this coming. No one. It, like, it was so random because all the surgeries he had, all the off-course issues and drama he had, no one ever thought Tiger Woodward would return to form and let alone win another Masters. And it's weird because I grew up watching golf because of my dad. Like, so I was actually interested in the Masters from start to finish. Like, I would actually watch it. And I was like, there's no way Tiger can can win this. And then, like, as it was going on, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, like yo, t- Tiger can actually win this. And it it's crazy because in 2016 and 2017, he sat out of the Masters. And it sucked because, it's like, oh, man, like, growing up, like, 2005, I was like, after Tiger won one in 2005, I was like, man, he can win, like, 14 more of these, yo. Like, he could keep going. So it was, like, really wild to watch on TV. And I could only imagine how intense it was in person, how insane it was in person. Because it was, like, after every hole, more and more people showed up. Every time he hit the ball, the cheers got louder. And by the 18th hole, you would have thought the Beatles came and performed a reunion concert because that's how loud it was when he won. It was so many people. He had to swim through crowds of people virtually that were just right around him. And he was walking through them like he was parting the Red Seas to get to that green jacket. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I never, ever, ever would have thought that this would happen in a million years, yet here we were, and I am so glad I got to see Tiger win another Masters. That was a great moment in this past decade of sports. Now, I'm going to move on to my personal favorite and most impactful moments of the decade. That was, like, in general, like, looking at all the moments in sports, it's like, if I had to compile them into one list, that is what I would do. Actually, let me go back and count. I may have only did four. Let's see. One, two, three. No, that's five. I will give an honorable mention, though, because this one just came to mind. Lynn Sanity, for that, like, two-week span of Jeremy Lynn, like, this, because, like, the way I have, have this set up in my head is I'm thinking that this is for all of sports. Like, this is extremely impactful. It te- You cannot tell the story of sports without these specific moments. And... Lynn Sanity doesn't quite fit that category, but Lynn Sanity was one of the most fun times I've ever had watching basketball. And unfortunately, this is probably the most relevant thing, relevant part of basketball for the Knicks in the past decade. I, I don't even I think Carmelo Anthony got hurt. That's why Jeremy Lynn got inserted into the lineup. And for like eight games in like two weeks, 
Jeremy Lin was dropping 40 on dudes, hitting game winners, and everyone was going crazy. And I really attribute how big basketball got in China to Jeremy Lin. And I was like, whoa, everybody was like, whoa, Jeremy Lin jersey sales are going through the roof. Everyone was tuning into Knicks games. And then, like, Jeremy Lin really earned himself a contract from the game. When Melo came back, the first game he came back, like, he didn't do the same because obviously Melo's there. He's going to get his 25 shots up. But Jeremy Lin earned himself contracts everywhere. He played on, like, 10 different NBA teams. He, if, he never got that opportunity back in, like, 2012, 2013, whenever that was. He probably never plays another game in the NBA. And more than likely, and more, especially, Jeremy Lin just won a ring with the Toronto Raptors. It is one of the greatest stories ever. I really, really, really loved Linsanity when that happened. But now, off that tangent, we're going to go back to my personal favorite and my most impactful moments of the decade. And really just moments I was like, oh man, yeah, this is great. Like they didn't really change the course of sports and you could definitely tell the story of sports without these moments. But these these were fun. I loved watching these moments. I loved participating in these moments. I was glad I was here for these moments. I'm going to start with on February 27th, 2016, the Warriors played the Thunder and Steph hit a ridiculous shot from a ridiculous range. And a lot of you, if you've seen this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Steph either tied or broke the three point record on one of the most ridiculous threes I have ever seen. And I still remember the call to this day because it's Mike Breen. And if any of you guys know who Mike Breen is, every time someone makes a deep three or a really clutch three, you hear the bang, bang. And I still remember this call to this day. He was like, they do have a timeout. They decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown, bang, bang. Oh, what a shot from Curry. And it, it all happened so fast. Like he didn't even have time to form a normal sentence because Westbrook just missed a shot. Draymond got the rebound. He passed it to Curry. And Curry literally took two dribbles, and just yacked up a shot. And we're talking about from 35, almost 40 feet out. Curry just shoots the ball. He doesn't even give anybody time to react. Doesn't give anybody time to pick him up from half court. And he just shoots it, hits the back iron, goes in. Mike Breen's going crazy. The crowd is going crazy. The Thunder are absolutely stunned. Steph is celebrating. It, it, it was a fantastic game because it was a game winner and he tied or broke the three-point record on a game winner. It was absolutely fantastic. And at that one point in time, I was like, yep, this is the greatest shooter I have ever seen. This is probably the greatest shooter the NBA will ever see, ever, like not even close. And he has the second greatest shooter on his team that has scored 37 points in a quarter. And it's like, nope, not even close. Steph is the greatest shooter the NBA will ever see. And then one of my second, one of the five, I'm I'm leaving it to five. So one of the five is November 23rd, 2014. The Cowboys played the Giants on Sunday Night Football. Yep, a lot of you guys remember this. Odell Beckham made the greatest catch in NFL history. Yes, I am going on record saying that the Sunday night catch against the Cowboys is the greatest catch in NFL history. And this is big for me because before this game, I'd always said, no matter whoever would ask me, the greatest catch I have ever seen and the greatest catch in NFL history to me is the catch in Super Bowl 43 where Big Ben threw it to Santonio Holmes in the back corner of the end zone. 
that will always and forever be the greatest catch to me until this game. Like I had thought that it is impossible. Santonio Holmes barely got his feet down. It was a game-winning touchdown. The situation, because Santonio Holmes had literally just dropped like two balls before that, and one of them was a touchdown. And I was like, oh, man, well, it looks like the Steelers might not win. And then this happened. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's no way it gets topped. And then Odell does the impossible. Like, I watched this, and my jaw just absolutely dropped. I was like, yo, how the hell did he do that? Like, how do you catch a ball with three fingers being dragged down by a defender and make it look effortless? Like, literally, the one thing you hear about football all the time is that it is one of the most aggressive and brutal games of all time. And that was like one of the most graceful plays in all of sports and one of the most physical games ever. And I was just sitting there like, he caught that? He's and he scored and he stayed in bounds while being dragged down by a cornerback. The throw wasn't even that good, it just kind of got there and he just grabbed it out of the air. And I was like, you know, this kid could be really good because I don't, I don't remember if it was his rookie or sophomore year, but I was like, man, this kid is going to be really good. And he is good. I really, really hope we get to see more great plays. I want to see great play after great play by a really great dude. I'm glad we got to see that great play by him. I hope we see more for whatever team he plays with for the remainder of his NFL career. That is my second on my list. Not in order, but the second that I wrote down. And then the third that I wrote down, I was just jotting everything down. The third one that came to mind, as soon as I finished with that one, I was like, oh, boom. April 13th, 2016. Kobe Bryant goes for 60 in the last game of his career. This was quite literally the most Kobe way to end a career. Like there was literally no better way Kobe could have went out. Kobe had dropped at least 60 points, I believe, was his record against every single team in the NBA, except for the Utah Jazz. And he finally did it in his final game of the career. And I was watching the game, and like, because at first, like, they tried to get Kobe the ball, and like, nothing was really bouncing his way. And then towards the end of the third quarter, he started to heat up a little bit. And then about halfway through the fourth quarter, he was hot, like, and you you could tell that he was struggling. Like the dude was panning. It was like he was turning red in the face. He was sweating really hard, but he was giving it his all. He was leaving everything out on the court. And I had the time of my life watching that game. He hit the game-winning go-ahead bucket against the Jazz. They won the game. And really why I love this moment so much is because it marked the end of an era for me and that everyone I grew up watching in their primes is now old and that I have to eventually be okay with the fact that this is a new NBA. Like, literally some of the only people that I grew up watching that are still in the league, like Rondo's there, Dwight is there, LeBron is there. The remains of Vince Carter are still hooping, and it's kind of it. Dirk just retired last year. Paul Pierce retired not too long ago. And it's like, it's weird because I still remember vividly the prime of Wade in the finals. I remember 08 Kobe taking on the OG Big Three in Boston. I remember Melo on the Nuggets. I remember the Pistons making six straight conference finals with Billups, Rip Hamilton, Big Ben, Sheed, Tayshaun Prince. And it's like, man, I feel old. 
like Kobe's career is over. All the greats that I grew up watching career is over. Tim Duncan's gone. Tony Parker's gone. Manu's gone. The, the entire Spurs team is dispersed. It's like, damn. It's like in like maybe three years, LeBron is going to be gone. And then we'll just have a whole bunch of dudes that I didn't really grow up watching. It'll be guys that came in the league in like 08 that are taking over now. Like KD, Giannis came in in like, what, 2015? I'm pretty sure Kawhi came in in 2013. It's like... These guys are pretty new to the league. It's like I watched, I grew up watching guys that came into the league in the 90s or at least the early 2000s. And it's like, oh man, now I feel old. And you just hate to see it. But I am glad I got to witness that era of basketball. And then the fourth moment that th- these next two moments are actually kind of not even games or anything. The fourth moment that I wrote down, this would, if I did have to number these, this would be either number two or number one. Fourth moment is on January 4th, 2015, Stuart Scott lost his long time battle with cancer. And this one hurt. This one really hurt me. Like this was the worst I felt about a celebrity death since Bernie Mac in 2009, because I'm really not huge on like keeping up with celebrities or anything or like celebrity deaths. It's like, I just kind of hear about it in the news. Like I don't really keep up with their lives or anything like that unless they're a person that shaped me into the person I am today. And Stuart Scott was definitely one of those people. If you don't know who Stuart Scott is, he is an extremely, extremely talented broadcaster who was on ESPN for a very long time. And he was fantastic at what he did. And he really, really shaped me into a person I am I am today. And literally the only reason I want to make content like this and the only reason you are hearing me right now is uh, one, because of technology and two, because of Stuart Scott. He is one of the biggest non-familiar role models in my life. And I really appreciate everything he did for sports and sports commentary and sports broadcasting. And I really hate that I never got to meet the guy. He seemed like a fantastic guy, fantastic husband, fantastic father. It sucks. I never got to meet him, but I do hope that I can inspire any one person the exact same way that he inspired me. Stuart Scott falls into number four on my most impactful moments of the decade. And then this one, uh, I take it back. This is number one, more most definitely the number one moment of my sporting decade. September 10th, 2011, the miracle under the lights when Michigan played Notre Dame in the big house in Ann Arbor under the lights. And no, it's not because Michigan won the game. The game was really exciting. This one is extremely personal for me. So there are plenty of better and like more meaningful games for sports. Like I could have put plenty of stuff down that I just really loved and enjoyed. But this one meant a lot to me. So I was 11 years old and my dad and I had never been to a Michigan game together. We just happened to be in Detroit the weekend, we were visiting family, we were visiting our grandma, granddads, aunts, uncles. We were just up there visiting, just me and him. And we, we didn't really realize when we were going up there, because we were just kind of going up there to visit every now and then. We'd just go up there and we had a long weekend, and we'd be like, oh, cool, well, let's go visit the fam. So we did. And then when we got up there, we realized that the game was that Saturday night. And we had the idea to watch the game in Ann Arbor. We never had the intentions to actually go to the game. So we wanted to go watch the game in Ann Arbor. We were going to find like a bar or something where we could just watch the game on TV and be around a whole bunch of Michigan fans and talk about the game and have a great time. And we ended up getting up there and we were trying to find some like on campus, like near the area 
or just somewhere like that. And then we got up there and my dad was like, you know, let's see if we can get into the game. So we tried to go buy some tickets and they were sold out. And then, you know, the guys scalping on the side of the streets, they were like, ah, oh, yeah, we want like two, three hundred a ticket. And uh, we were like, uh, no. So what we did is we were just kind of walking around and then we tried to find a bar again. So we scrapped that idea and then we found a ticket on the ground. We looked around. There was literally nobody in the area and we just found a ticket on the ground. The stub was still on at the bottom and we were like, oh, well, let's just pick this up. So we picked up the ticket. He handed it to me and he was like, well, even if we can't get into the game, this will be a cool souvenir to just have with you. And I was like, yeah, you're right. They're like, that would be really cool. And so eventually we just started walking. Like we were still walking around looking for like a bar to go watch the game at. And then like there were still more scalpers. And the guy was like, we want to, one guy was like, okay, I only want $150 for a ticket. And we're like, oh, wow. Um, that's, that's a pretty good deal. And he was like, well, we're going to keep looking around, but then we might come back. And he was like standing right in front of the gate too. And so we walked around, like we tried to see if there were like any bars in the area nearby and there weren't. So we tried to go back right around front. And my dad was like, uh, well, it'll be fun. We can go in. I'll pay the 150 for the ticket. And when we went back, the scalper was gone. He completely left, I guess, because the game was about to start. Or I think it might have already kicked off. But we were still standing at the gate. And we we're like, oh, man, well, I guess we'll give this ticket away to somebody who's just one person who wants to go in the game. And as we were about to give it away, we we're looking for people who were just kind of walking by themselves. Uh, a man stumbles out of the gate and he is drunk. He has clearly thrown up on himself and he, he, he just looks bad. He's down bad. He's walking out of the game. He's like, oh, I'm about to go home. I don't feel great. And he walks by us. And he just comes up to us and he is like, hey, man, I don't feel good. Do either of you need a ticket to go in the game? I'm about to go home. And me and my dad looked at each other and we were like, no freaking way. And we were like, yeah, ab absolutely. We, we would love a ticket. And he's like, yeah, well, you got to find another one because I only have one. But he was like, no, we we're like, no, 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 it's great. It's, it's no problem at all. And we, he gave us the ticket. He went on about his business. And the, the problem with his ticket is his stub was already gone because he'd already went to the game. So what me and my dad did is we had to fake like I was sick and we had to go back to the car. And my dad was like, hey, uh, I had to take my son to my car real quick. He wasn't feeling good. Uh, we're coming back now. I already, he already took the stub off of my ticket. And here's my son's ticket right here. And luckily, it was a black guy at the gate, and he was looking at us, and he was like, I'm not supposed to let people re-enter, but since you both still have your tickets on you, I will let you guys into the game. And that is how we got into the Under the Lights game completely for free. We ended up finding two seats that were just right next to each other that nobody was sitting in, in the one ticket that I found on the ground. And it was great. We had a blast. Michigan ended up winning on a last second touchdown. But the reason that is one of the most impactful moments for me is not because Michigan won. It is because I got to experience a Michigan football game with my father. And not only was it a Michigan football game, it was my very first Michigan football game. And it was our very first Michigan football game together. So I thought that was great. And that definitely is a moment that I will never forget, no matter how old I get, no matter what decade it is. And I am done. This is it. 
that is all I have for you for 2019. That is all I have for you for this year. I'm done. I hope you guys have a fantastic new year. I hope you guys manifest all your goals in 2020 and beyond. I hope you have a great night. Please be safe. If you do plan on getting drunk, please call an Uber. Think about more lives than yourselves. I hope you guys have a fantastic day. Again, this has been Miles with the Judgment Call podcast. I will see you guys next year. Have a great night. Happy New Year.